Success seekers, join me today as we speak with the Next Big Thing Movement's 2017 top millennial influencer, Courtney Grange, as we explore the concepts of the psychology of sales, branding, social entrepreneurship, and the unique concept of the multi-potentialite work model. How do all of these come together to impact us in our pursuit of success? What nuggets of information are going to be found in this awesome podcast looking into how to sustain success, achieve higher levels of success, and be more fulfilled in the process? Join us as we explore this and more in another awesome episode of Arrow Helps Entrepreneurs Increase Visibility, Credibility, and Profitability. Hello and welcome to an episode of the Arrow Helps Entrepreneurs Increase Visibility, Credibility, and Profitability. Today we have an outstanding show that's going to go over some incredible topics you probably have never heard, heard of and refining some of the topics that you're passionate about already. So today we have Mr. Courtney Grange with us. Courtney, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Courtney Grange, as said. <laughs> um, I guess you could say that for me, my introduction is pretty long. Um, I usually say, you know, how much time you got when we're talking about intros. But um, to keep it simple, I am a father, a social entrepreneur, a sales psychology coach, purpose counselor, and African traditional priest. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that, that is awesome. You don't you really don't run across that as a headline too much. But I think it's probably also, you know, uh, we connect via LinkedIn. One of the real interesting things here, too, are some of the, the accolades you've been able to uh, to be given already, which is pretty interesting. So it uh, looks like, um, you know, you've been recognized for work in publications uh, like Black Enterprise uh, and USA Today. Uh, being named the 2017 Top Millennial Influencer by the Next Big Thing Movement. And something I'd really like to maybe speak about a little bit uh, throughout the course of our, our time today. Uh, but in this case, uh, one of the first uh, creator awards uh, from WeWork for creating sustainable change in, in your community. And that, that's a real interesting, I think, topic we have to make sure we, we discuss and dive into a little bit today. Awesome. But uh, great. So, we wanted to connect and really kind of talk. I think, you know, one of the things in us sort of connecting via LinkedIn uh, was talking a little bit more about sort of the psychology of sales, uh, which is really relevant to, uh, you know, really anybody that follows this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that was interesting is one thing that really I think drives entrepreneurs and business people are going to be frameworks to work within. And one of the really interesting things that I, I never came across and I thought was super interesting was this this idea of a multi-potentialite. And I think that might be a really different uh, context or different term that a lot of people maybe have not heard of or may have heard of and just don't really know too much about. Um, so in this case, um, can you tell us a little more about what a multi-potentialite is and how you sort of integrate that concept into what you do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the multi-potentialite concept uh, was initially made popular by a TED Talk um, given by Emily Wapnick. Um, and it was pretty much the first time for me I had heard somebody effectively articulate 
um, having many passions and not being able to choose just one, um, but in a framework that made sense. Um, and so at its core, a multi-potentialite is somebody who um, might have, you know, switched careers several different times or that, that is in law school one minute, um, an actor the next minute, and uh, looking to travel the world the next minute. <laughs> and so um, what the multi-potentialite framework tries to do is instead of condemning uh, that aspect of self, which causes us to have many passions, it actually embraces it and starts to put frameworks around how to tool it uh, towards personal and professional success. So I hope that was a good enough explanation of that. It's been, I've been working on it for a while because it is, it is rather complex, but simple at the same time. Yeah. So it, it sounds, it sounds like the, the concept is, you know, really finding a, a structured way to kind of grow and nurture different uh, interests that, that span probably a lot of different areas uh, and trying to find a framework to sort of be able to, to manage those, nurture them and produce results um, across, you know, very interest, uh, very, very different platforms of interest. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Um, and the beautiful thing about it from my perspective is um, when I was introduced to it, uh, of course, I was immediately drawn to, you know, something that uh, allowed me to <laughs> put a positive spin on my all over the placeness. But um, when I started to dig more outside of just the podcast into uh, Emily Watmuk's book, uh, How to Be Everything, the uh, Putty Tribe, which is basically the uh, a collective group of individuals who, you know, identify as multi-potentialites and look to help each other. Uh, but most importantly, the different work models that exist. Um, and there are four work models with a fifth that is kind of a hybrid of, you know, one or two of one or two combinations of the four. Um, but it really does allow someone with multiple passions to put a, a solid framework of how to tool this thing, uh, not just to be successful, uh, but, but for it to make sense for them as well. Um, and for me personally, the uh, work model that I use is called a Phoenix approach. Um, and it's pretty cool because it has allowed me to take a lot of the personal, uh, spiritual passions and things that I have explored um, and execute on them without uh, giving up my more traditional uh, sales, consulting, business um, strengths and experience as well. Um, and the way it works is pretty simple, right? So most people that are, uh, utilize a Phoenix approach um, change what they are doing in kind of a sequential format. Um, and so you enter a project or a career with the mindset of, I'm going to do this for four to six years and then switch to something else. Um, for me, what I've done is kind of uh, taken that concept and retold it a little bit to say, I am going to operate uh, my products and services in a seasonal format while keeping certain things continuous towards um, stabilizing my income and my quality of life. Um, and so my nonprofit consulting and sales strategy training work is what I do on a regular basis year round. Um, and then seasonally, I have different um, aspects of working with people in businesses on mind, body and soul work um, to you know, kind of feed and tool myself uh, towards staying engaged and, and staying 
on top of what you know interests me as an individual. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's uh, you know several different quadrants really that you can kind of keep your focus in, and you know I, I relate to this uh, thinking of for example uh, a hundred day challenge that I that I did at the end of last year, and this hundred days was a hundred days focused on sort of four four different areas of life. Uh, mm -hmm. and kind of making certain specific uh, commitments uh, within those areas. And ultimately, uh, I, I found, I think a lot of people find probably by doing different things like this is, you know, as you kind of uh, are nurturing, I guess, each of these different areas, uh, you're overall sort of moving forward with a different type of uh, passion and wholeness. It sort of, it sort of creates a momentum going forward. So this is really sort of interesting to kind of break it down into you know, like you, like you mentioned, so summertime, body-based work, soul-based work during another season, and mind-based work. So kind of touching in, you know, holistically these different areas that there's so, so many different ways to kind of nurture those particular areas that can make such an impact, I guess, on how you would move forward and what that momentum would look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for me, it was at first difficult to identify um, but when I had time to sit with you know who am I right like who do I like to show up as on a regular basis and what causes that rhythm to change um, for me it was seasonal right and so the summertime I am super out and about I'm super active I'm running I'm working out I'm playing basketball I'm doing everything possible to soak up as much sunlight as I possibly can and so it made sense to um, have my more fitness, uh, health-based uh, services offered during the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, in the fall and in the springtime is where you have to do a lot of decision-making, right? Is it warm enough for me to go out? Is it too cold and I want to stay inside? Do I want to go to this thing? Um, and so a lot of that comes from your ability to activate your discernment, right? Um, most of the time we can look at logical information um, but emotions are what allow us to make decisions. Uh, similar to what I talk about often in my sales trainings is that most sales are emotional, but based on logic. And what that means is when we buy something or when we're looking to be uh, connected to something, a product or a service, we first have an emotional connection to this thing or somebody helps to activate that emotional connection. We then make the decision to move on that emotion based on logical pieces of information. Is the price point right? Can I see this thing fitting into my already existing business structures or personal life? Things like that. And so that fall and springtime for me was soul-based work because what else is the soul besides discernment? And then the wintertime was, of course, hibernation season, right? We spent a lot of time indoors. Uh, you got a lot of time either to yourself or to your loved ones or specific group. And you do a lot of thinking, right? you have time to sit with an idea. You have time to plan things because, you know, if you're in a snowstorm or it's just raining or it's cold, you're inside. And so the more mental based aspects of self for me showed up in the winter. Um, and so for me, it was like, okay, this sounds like it makes sense. And if I could actually execute this, this could pretty much be the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and it has been that so far. It is extremely rewarding. Um, and it never allows me to get bored. I mean, I have to consistently keep myself motivated, um, which as an entrepreneur sometimes can be the toughest thing because you do spend a lot of time creating with yourself. Yeah, I, I like that. It's, um, you know, it really makes me think about, uh, in this case, the, the habit of consuming 
content and reading. Uh, mm-hmm. The you know most successful people, the CEOs, are said to you know read. I think uh, I don't know at least sixty books in a year. And yeah. uh, in this case, you know, thinking about why somebody would do that, or you know, taking a look. I know I've, I've got a stack of books, and I'm in the process of sort of reading through those and adding to them, and at the same time, multiple projects uh, that we're working on. So I've, I've definitely found that at different times throughout the year, for example you might need to really kind of spend time focusing, say, on a project, which consumes some of the time to um, maybe consume other content. But overall, if you look at sort of the, the, the amount of types of books maybe to consume or just content, um, if you can keep yourself sort of focusing in different sort of quadrants or different areas, you're constantly stimulating your, your mind. And like you said, keeping, keep, sort of keeping that passion and not getting necessarily uh, bogged down by the routines that you're necessarily having to go through to you know, to create whatever it is that you're, you know, working to create on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Errol, I, I firmly believe in the fact that like, there are only two basic human emotions, love and fear, and that everything else stems from them. And so there's really small differences between love and fear in terms of what our body produces chemically. Um, but most of the time, when we're looking at what we're afraid of, and how that, you know, then has sub categories of emotional responses, a lot of it is based on things that we actually would be in love with if we weren't so afraid, right? And so, for example, uh, there's this amazing interview that has gone viral of Will Smith talking about his first time jumping out of an airplane and how, you know, the night before he was so afraid. And so when he jumps out of the plane, he eventually kind of circles back and says, what in the hell was I afraid of the night before? Like I'm sitting in my bed, there's, there's literally nothing to be afraid of. And so I am training myself to be afraid of things before I actually take action on them. And then he goes further to say, when he jumped out of that plane, the initial moment was the most terrifying thing he had ever experienced. And then a split second after that was the most blissful thing he had ever experienced. And so it ends to say on the other side of fear, is nine times out of 10, some of your most amazing experiences in life. And so for me, this framework allows me to always be in that place because I can tell you honestly, like I'm afraid every single day, right? Like the more the summer goes on and I'm getting comfortable doing body work, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, here comes the fall. Like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And I have to push and use what I am in love with at this moment to literally get me through the next stage of fear and it constantly goes over and over again until the point where my fear becomes my fuel and my love becomes my GPS. So it's a cool experience, um, but it definitely takes some time and some deep soul searching and, and personal identification to understand how to utilize and harness these things the right way. Because it is not something that we are um, societally bred to understand or do. Well, it's interesting that you say that. and. I would say that if you ask probably 10 people about what they're doing, if you say, why are you doing that? So why do you, why do you want to be successful? Or why do you, you know, what is it that you do exactly? And why do you want to do yep. it? Yeah. You know, seven out of 10 are probably going to have a lot of difficulty telling you, you know, succinctly why and, and what it is that they do directly. Um, so getting at ultimately that underlying why uh, and what is motivating. If you look at entrepreneurs, 
for example, you know, trying to move through different levels of entrepreneurship and meeting the obstacles that they meet, you know, ultimately the challenges that they're facing are there's like internal principle based challenges that are based off of things that uh, are, are deep down. And uh, I think that those are the areas that people aren't necessarily expecting when they're thinking about being successful or business. They're not necessarily analyzing deeper down those, uh, those specific areas that are probably related to self-development and self-discovery that ultimately are holding them back or, or pushing them forward. Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. That's interesting. That's interesting. Now, I, and, and in terms of this, uh, the multi-potentialite, so you mentioned sort of four kind of teetering on five models and that mm-hmm. the sort of the, the model that sort of fit you the, the most, the work model was this Phoenix multi-potentialite. Um, can you speak a little bit more on these other four models? Or the, I guess sure. three or four. Yeah. Yeah. So the first model is what's called the group hug approach. <laughs> the names are always like super cool and interesting. Um, but from an employment perspective, uh, it might mean working at a startup or a small company or just an organization that allows you to wear uh, many different hats on the job. Right. And so it's assuming that this personality type enjoys differentiation within the same setting. Right. So this is the type of person that uh, may de- redecorate their room once every season, but still has the same room, if that makes sense. Um, the second model is what's called the slash approach. And this person um, can do like different things that may complement each other. So for example, um, from a self-employment perspective, it's like the lateral freelancer, right? So you are a graphic designer slash website developer slash um you know keyword search expert slash linkedin optimizing training person right so you do a lot of different things but they tend to all fit together the third model and this is actually a model i utilized towards becoming an entrepreneur and i didn't even know it um and it's called the einstein approach and so it, it it's called that because most people don't know that Albert Einstein had a day job working at the federal office for intellectual property, evaluating patent applications while he was doing all this crazy, amazing stuff that we now know him for. And so it's this concept of uh, you have a career or a job that you can do good enough at where it doesn't, it doesn't create waves Um, while doing whatever your additional pursuits may be. Um, And so from my perspective, this is what we see, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, with a lot of federal employees and government workers, right, Mm -hmm. that have just pretty much their career set for the next 30, 40 some odd years. Like they're going to move up in the GS schedule, they're going to get certain raises, and their work is going to be static. Um, It's even more beneficial in the digital age where you have like cybersecurity experts who can work from home almost every day of the week and they're getting you know 40 hours of work done in six hours and they just got a lot of time on their hands um and so that's model number three um the fourth model is of course my model that i utilize now the phoenix approach and then the last one is a hybrid which is basically a combination of these things in different ways um But the beauty of the multi-potentialite model is that it also says, look, these are the four four and a half, five models that they have come up with, but there could be tons more, right? There could be something that just works for you specifically. 
And that's the beauty of this is it basically teaches you or inspires you to say, there's nothing wrong with being a jack of all trades as long as you are a master of yourself. And so like you mentioned that most people, when you ask them, why are you doing what you do? They either don't have an answer. The answer is based on something that they think they're supposed to be doing, or it's based on some sort of fear, right? Like I am a lawyer because I'm afraid to be a painter because I don't want to lose my income. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so the multi-potentialite model more so says, I choose to do these things either because I want to or because it's a part of my greater purpose. And so for me, that is always the answer. Well, why are you all over the place? Because I feel like it and I can, right? There, there need be no more explanation for your success other than your desire. And that's, I think, a fundamental thing that you know, a capitalistic structure often gets lost on the average person uh, because we don't realize that most of the things that we look at as concrete, you know, historically, uh, historically juggernaut aspects of our society started pretty much by people who were scared. You look at the Rockefellers, the JP Morgans, the Fords, like these were just a bunch of guys that came together at a time and said, listen, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Or you look at, you know, our different aspects of American royalty, maybe the Kennedys, right? The Kennedys became wildly wealthy off of bootlegging before politics and all these other things that they're known for. And so those models, those things that make up American history often get overlooked in the day-to-day -day grind and, you know, the, uh, the desire to continuously have a paycheck or worry about your credit score and things like that. And at the end of the day, like, even if you look at our tax laws, they were created for entrepreneurs. Like they weren't created for average everyday people. Um, but most, like I said, most people, and you said it as well, most people don't think this deeply into how our society is constructed and therefore never get to the fundamental aspects of self that allow them to identify personally why they are doing what they're doing. Yeah, I I really have it uh, sort of echoing in my mind to just really focus right now on this sort of this idea of this greater purpose, and how uh, in this case you know this idea of really mastering yourself and spending that time in self reflection to try to understand, you know what your why is and different you know as it relates to just different things you're doing you know, why you're doing certain activities, why you've chosen a certain path, why you would create a framework, why you would put in certain structures within your day or your week or your month or your year and approach things a certain way so that you can stand firm really in the greater meaning of what you're doing. And anybody that may approach things in that way, and the, I, I would almost say that whoever is most successful at breaking those down and most firmly and brightly sees that greater purpose in every single thing that they do, people notice that and you, you approach things in a completely different way than anybody else around you because majority of people haven't really done that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, that is a fundamental part of my um, sales strategy coaching and training. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been able to, you know, have a pretty good, pretty successful 16 plus year career in business to business sales. And a lot of that time was spent um, under a framework, which is called the challenger sale. 
Um, it was made popular in the, the mid, you know, early 2000s by a corporate executive board. And what it looked at was in the economic downturn of 2008, um, they researched, I think, something like 200 or 200,000 different salespeople to see who continued to succeed while the economy crashed and who was unable to succeed or, you know, whose numbers dropped. Um, and they came up with, of course, several different frameworks, but most of us know already, right? So you got your lone wolves who are people that just go out there, they do their own thing, and they hit their number because of what they do. You've got your relationship builders that, that spend a ton of time building relationships and getting deeply connected with people and a couple other ones. But the one that continue to succeed, no matter what happened economically or around them, was called a challenger. And the difference between a challenger and every other salesperson was the fact that a challenger could teach a C-level executive something new, right? And so the concept is, if you are able to teach somebody that you are looking to sell to, you immediately build credibility. You build trust at a level that supersedes anybody else that you're gonna be around. And you now have the ability to make an ask because you have made a very distinct give. And so it's the beginning of it, right? And it goes much deeper in terms of when I train because of course these things take two, three, four day sessions to really dig into. Um, but it's an amazing model of how much of yourself do you put into what you're selling? right? Do you take the time to articulate and perfect your craft? Do you know how to skillfully ask questions and then listen without the intent to respond, but the pure intent to absorb what this person is giving you long enough to find key things that you are able to give them? And then in return, right, you receive trust. Like I said, you receive that access point. Um, and for most sales professionals, especially in the day and age where your average prospect knows the same, if not more than you do, because they can go find this information on the internet. It really is a game changer in terms of somebody's ability to effectively sell, not just today, but every single day. Um, and it's important. And for me, it started with just, you know, one, uh, being raised by a salesman, right? Like I was raised by, in my opinion, the most amazing person I have ever seen um, in the sales, sales arena. And he used to always teach me, he would say, you know, Courtney, sales is about two things. Can you skillfully question and carefully listen? And not just sales, but life, right? If you look at relationships, if a man is looking to court or effectively win over the affections of a woman, well, it's pretty much two things you gotta do. You gotta skillfully question and carefully listen. And so I was raised in this framework before I ever got to college or started my career with any of these corporate companies that I've worked for, this framework was built into who I am. And it's a large part why I do what I do now. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's awesome. It's, um, yeah, I think breaking, breaking down the whole sales process and getting into the psychology that goes behind it, um, you know, that is a, that is a, that is a deep um, area to explore and such a valuable one. Um, so I, I really like how you kind of uh, put the framework of just, you know, skillfully questioning and carefully listening. Um, I wonder when you when you are kind of approaching, uh, say, teams or, or groups of salespeople or you know, organizations that have different levels of, um, I guess, just different or just different levels of, uh, of their sales teams. How do you how do you typically then sort of approach 
sort of creating results and making an impact and kind of teaching the different areas of, um, you know, just breaking down the psychology of the sale to help them? Gotcha. Um, that's a great question. And so for me, I break my sales training up into two categories. And so my to be a challenger training is designed for top performers, right? These are folks that are achieving 120% to gold or greater, right? Because you're not looking to teach them how to sell. You're teaching them how to be consistent and how to always be able to adapt. And so that's where the challenger sale really comes into play. Um, my other sales training, which is called the psychology of the sale, is designed for um, new sales professionals or those with an opportunity to perform. So roughly 80% of quota or less than, um, and that's providing them that framework, right? So every company, every sales organization should at least have a sales process, a defined way of going about achieving a sale that gives you, you know, a defined sales cycle um, and knowing exactly what to do at each point. The issue that I've found over my years with sales cycles is that they don't really allow a person to incorporate their personal self into it, right? And so if I am, let's say, for example, building rapport or going through the introductory or discovery stage of the sales process, how am I really discovering a, more about this person if I am not using myself to do so, right? You know, so we know small things like, okay, if the prospect tells me they have children and I have children, oh, yeah, let's talk about it. But let's go deeper than that, right? Like, let's talk about birthdays. Let's look at like, how do we really define building a relationship or building a rapport? Um, and this is where that carefully listening piece comes into play because if you're careful with how you listen, this person is gonna tell you exactly how to sell them the whole time. And so another thing that my dad taught me when I was very young as son, on every single sale, somebody is sold. Either you sell them on why to say yes, or they sell you on why they're saying no. And this process is what's gonna set you apart from being able to make the difference. And so for a new salesperson, right? Somebody who's cutting their teeth or somebody who really hasn't found their rhythm yet, this is extremely important because if you can command the sales process while building a relationship the whole time and paying attention to the cues that you're being given, excuse me, and continuously asking deeper level questions, like they're going to tell you how to sell them. And it may not be today, but you're going to be able to close for something every single time. I've seen it work. I've seen other professionals make it work. And in my trainings, it is definitely what sets me apart to be able to talk to individuals that are looking to build out their sales force um, and want to have a dynamic way of doing it that they're just not going to find on the open market. That's, uh, that, that's great. That's great. I mean, I think really, really helpful breakdowns. And again, kind of getting back to other frameworks, sort of, uh, you know, look at these uh, models and is really helpful. But um, that, that's great. One of the one of the things, I guess, in terms of the teaching the sales techniques, uh, one thing that I've always sort of found interesting, maybe you can speak on this a little bit, too, is so as a salesperson, and, and I consider myself a salesperson, a, a sales professional. Uh, and in this case, a lot of these techniques that we might use to kind of walk somebody through the sales cycle uh, and to find success in closing the sale um, interpersonally and in personal relationships, a lot of salespeople, I think, may have 
some more uh, challenges with uh, managing some of the personal relationships and, and having the same success that they have with their close ratios. Uh, so <laughs> that's kind of interesting, yep. though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of it is, again, like how much of you is in your process, right? So I remember having conversations with, uh, you know, ex-partners of mine um, from a personal relationship perspective and like the woman saying, stop trying to close me. I'm like, damn, how does she know? (laughs) Because at the end of the day, I was doing too much of the process and not enough of myself, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But as I started to get deeper into like this skillfully questioned, carefully listened piece of things, it was still there, right? Like you, 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 we are not separated from what we do as a career. Um, it is a part of who we are. And so examples, you know, if you're dating or you're in a relationship with a doctor, like there's probably some an- analysis is gonna happen at some point. If you're dating a lawyer, like it's probably going to be difficult to argue with them on topics where they're correct because they know how to leverage being, uh, being correct. Um, and so for salespeople, I think that there's too much emphasis on sell, 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 and not enough emphasis on build, build, build. Um, And so that's another whole concept that I get into with what I call the giver's gain mentality, which is something I learned very early um, in my sales career from a mentor of mine. Um, But the basic premise of it is in any interaction where you are looking to sell or give somebody something that they give you something in return, you should be able to give two to three times what you are looking to receive, right? And so if I'm a small business payroll rep with a company and I'm trying to get this landscaping company to bring on their employees to me, do you think that they're more apt to do that if I bring them three referrals or if I just come in and tell them I'll drop their price? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of how it works, yep. Yeah, and so I guess maybe this is is a good transition to something that is kind of a, a focus throughout you know, sort of this podcast and uh, just in general, I think is a, is a bigger topic for entrepreneurs and people that are just in business and are, are just very much professional focus now, sort of with what you mentioned in terms of these, uh, this challenger model and really teaching you know, a C-level executive something, something significant to immediately build credibility and this concept of giver's gain. So what, what this really kind of, I, I think, really leads to is more of a conversation about branding and talking about LinkedIn, for example, just talking about social media. I find that a lot of professionals, a lot of sort of a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, don't quite get yet what the ROI of social media is or what the ROI of this relationship building, this branding is. Um, yeah. but it, it really stands out to me here and I would assume it stands out for you as well. Uh, this might be a, a, a teaching point maybe for some of the business owners or entrepreneurs or professionals that may be hearing this, they don't quite get why they should invest the time to, you know, to build on social media and exactly what that return is. But there's, there's something here within this branding and this idea of giving more than you receive that, you know, it's clearly it's, it's, I don't know, it's very clear to me that it's related. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would definitely have to agree. Um, and I think that the the disconnect is, is really just a generational thing. Um, and so those that have been in business for a long time tend to lean on strategies that have been tried and true, right? Proven aspects of success. 
whereas those that are um, a little bit newer in the concept of business ownership or entrepreneurship, um, they tend to be more accepting of things, right? And so if you look at it from a generational perspective, my mindset is always you've got baby boomers and then you've got millennials, right? Because those are the two largest groups of people that we have on the planet. Um, and so myself as a millennial, but on the earlier side of millennials, I was born in 1985. I lived in a world where there were no cell phones, right? I remember like dial up internet service. Um, I remember the old school angel fire websites, which we would like cringe at nowadays, um, but existed back in the day. I remember the sound of AOL dial up internet access. And so for me, it's this interesting place of old school and new school where I understand and I value the old school ways of doing business, selling, building relationships. And I also see the value because it's around me every single day in terms of tapping into the digital age and what it can do for you. Um, and you see it pop up a lot of different times. Like for example, um, the movie, I think it was called The Internship uh, with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, where they get the internship at Google and they're old school sales guys that, you know, their company folds up. Yep, um, yep. At the, the end of it, there's that challenge where they've got to get this pizza shop to, to folk to like sign with them. And you see the younger kids talking to them about these are people that are, you know, 30 miles away that are talking about your pizza. What would it look like to connect with them and give them value and put a store in their location? Like these small things like Google Analytics or SEO or keyword searches. These are real things in this day and age. And as the Internet of Things expands itself, they're going to become more and more valuable. Um, and so, you know, Errol, to your to your success and your credit, I see more and more people starting to be able to take the platforms like LinkedIn and help people differentiate that from the vast amount of other social media aspects, right? Um, and because I truly believe like LinkedIn stands alone in the social media space comparable to a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram. It is just different because it's 100% professionally based. And so literally I know people who have built their entire business and grown it just off of LinkedIn. And it's not impossible and it's not far-fetched. It's actually easier than old school approaches. It's just, for me, it goes to this old saying that, that um, my grandfather used to always say to me, you are only as old as your ability to process new information. And so if you can continue to process new information, you can stay with whatever trend, whatever time is needed. And you actually, as in, you know, uh, somebody from, let's say an older generation or somebody that's more seasoned in the business world, once you bring that level of knowledge into the digital age, you almost immediately become an influencer because you've got things that nobody else has seen that they really do want to see. So um, not only do I agree with it, um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm uh, marcher in that army with you. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I think that this uh, over the course of this conversation, I think that this is, you know, probably created some some new thinking some new paradigm potentially paradigm shifting uh for a, a lot of um, you know a lot of business oriented uh individuals um what i like so much about everything we talked about really are these frameworks that people can think in terms of which can really can completely alter somebody's approach to achieving success and managing that success we, we've talked about sales processes which basically are the sort of the 
the backbone or the the foundation that all business is based off of and grows with. What, what I think would be really interesting just to talk a little bit about is that, you know, so you've got this, this, these unique frameworks and you're talking about being able to sort of uh, help to drive sales and digging down into the psychology of the sale. So the other thing that's really interesting with you is the, for example, here, the, uh, you know, achieving the award for creating sustainable change in your community. So not only is it, Mm. you know, sort of mental and business and breaking things down, but to actually take some things out and really impact your community, uh, that's next level. And, And that I think would be interesting to hear more about how you sort of then take in sort of what you've been doing to impact your community and what that's kind of looked like. Can you talk a little more on yeah. that? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, first and foremost, thank you. I appreciate that, that, that uh, praise for that. Um, for me, so for anybody who's ever experienced Gallup Strength Finders, they'll understand this, but my number one strength is connectedness. Um, and what that means is that I fundamentally believe that everything is connected. Um, and so for me, the work that I did while, cor- while in corporate America as a training ground for myself um, is something that I absolutely, absolutely took into my social entrepreneurship or uh, more impact-based ventures. Um, and so when I was fortunate to work in um, educational development and youth, youth work, I met a lot of cool people, right? Um, and a lot of these people had spent their careers either in creative career paths or in nonprofit work. And so there was an immediate environment for me to give of my more professional uh, business knowledge to them and look to receive more of their nonprofit impact-based knowledge. Um, And one of those relationships was literally how I ended up um, winning the creator award for my nonprofit organization, uh, Fly. And so really what it was as WeWork started to build out the framework of this creator awards concept, um, they just happened to launch in DC as their first city. And so a gentleman who used to work with WeWork in the early days, who did a lot of the video production work for them when they were um, raising capital, was who they called on to do the videos and the different visuals for this creator awards event, uh, not just in DC, but in different places. And so he was asked to find five change makers in DC um, to feature in like an opening video, right? During the Creator Awards. Um, And so this was a gentleman that I worked with while I was at an organization called The Future Project. Um, He was just this amazing visual person. Like he had an eye for how to film that immediately captured you emotionally. Um, And so I did a lot of, you know, building with him on that because one, it captured me But two, I wanted to understand more, how does somebody develop an eye like that? Like, how do you see the world from this perspective? Um, And so, you know, when he came to DC and started looking, he reached out and just said, hey, I wanna film you uh, for this project that WeWork had me doing. I'm like, all right, cool, you know, no big deal. I'll take the the extra PR or whatever comes with it, not a big deal at all. Um, But then we started to talk more about the video and like, the fact that I was a new father and how my organization was a lot um, a part of my legacy and looking at what I wanted to leave to my son, you know, one day I wanted it to be more than just like money or my time in corporate. 
Um, I wanted it to be able to be something that said, these were the lives that were changed because your father was here. And now we start getting into these deep philosophical conversations of fatherhood and love and family. Um, and so long story short, we filmed the video. Um, there's five other organizations in it and it's premiered during the DC WeWork Creator Awards. So we're on stage, they you know, announce that the video is being played. I'm feeling great because I'm on stage in front of these people getting, you know, like I said, public relations PR for my organization. And then all of a sudden the CEO of WeWork says, oh, and by the way, each of you are getting an $18,000 grant. <laughs> and it just, it erupted. I mean, each of us was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what? Um, and it was really, really impactful and inspiring because the Creator Awards was a competition. Like people had to compete to win these awards. And just because of the work that we were doing and the relationships we had, we were gifted this award um, in a way that nobody else had received. And so for me, it was one of the most humbling yet uh, priceless experiences of my life because I knew that we deserved it. <laughs> like I did not think, oh my God, thank you. No, it was like, we put in the work for this and I am proud to accept this award. But at the same time, oh my God, I did not expect you to give me $18,000. Um, and so it was a complete um, culmination of, you know, Things like the giver's gain mentality, things like always incorporating my personal narrative into what I'm doing. Um, and it resulted in money, which at the end of the day, from a business perspective is, you know, what we're looking to do here. If you can, if your work can make an impact and make money, I think that you are always in a good position. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think that um, that's a, that's really just a phenomenal uh, story and uh, you know not just a story it really happened um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's super interesting and you know there's a lot of people that are out sort of grinding and there's a lot of people that are dreaming and there's a lot of people that are putting in the hard work and uh, in this case what this really makes me think about and maybe it's just a good way to kind of uh, sort of round out this conversation uh, is uh, from a point of encouragement and so when we think about, you know, what that really speaks to me about is the possibility of what can come out of putting your, putting your, your, your why, uh, really kind of focusing on uh, understanding the personal meaning that you have behind every single thing that you do and trying to interject that into every aspect of what you do and communicate that to people proactively, you know, as somebody that's entrepreneurial, proactively trying to build and brand uh and as you do that and you leverage for example linkedin or you, you leverage these different platforms to continue to brand yourself and to connect with people and not just putting the information out there but actually connecting with with these people uh, in the same way that you spent time to really get to know some of the individuals uh there via we work um you know that creates a lot of unexpected opportunities. Like you would never have necessarily kind of planned out to say, Hey, this is what would happen. But because you invested yourself, you branded yourself, you got yourself out there, you connected and you really gave to these people. Uh, they gave back to you in a way that is just a phenomenal experience, a phenomenal story, a phenomenal opportunity uh, that can really inspire, you know, a lot of other people. And uh, for everybody that's sort of grinding and going at it, you know, we got to sort of build on these stories because they, they happen in abundance. But I think that's kind of the overall 
you know, one of the big things I would take away from this and encourage everybody that would be listening to this to sort of keep in mind and start getting organized and, and trying to implement more than what they have been, you know, to this point. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So great. Well, I guess in this case, really just want to, you know, thank you so much, uh, Courtney, for uh, for your time today and for being able to share, uh, you know, these experiences, this uh, perspective uh, really with uh, with everybody here that's, uh, you know, taking the time to listen to this podcast. And uh, in this case, want to really just thank you and appreciate what you do. And I uh, look forward to kind of continuing to, to build on our uh, connection, uh, which, again, for everybody, this sort of spanned from uh, really, in this case, uh, putting content out on LinkedIn. And in this case, you know, our connection started really uh, from, I think in this case, you'd seen some of the content that I put out and just thought, hey, this is an interesting person with an interesting profile, really got to connect. <laughs> and then as we connected, I kind of said the same thing when I saw this multi-potentialite and it sort of developed into this. Yeah, absolutely, man. I um, appreciate the invitation to be on the podcast. Um, and definitely looking forward to continue to network, connect, um, and build our collective brands and businesses together. All right. Well, great. And again, so you're in the DC area, I'm in the DC area. And, uh, in this case, I guess for anybody that's listening that, uh, can see some, some value in connecting, they should definitely make a point to reach out to both of us. Oh yeah. Very, very simple. I mean, I'm, I'm easy to find. Um, my name is spelled pretty different. So C O R T N I, uh, G R A N G E. So if you type it into LinkedIn or even into Google, um, it's almost guaranteed that I'll pop up. Um, so easiest thing, of course, is to connect with me on LinkedIn um, and we can go from there. So, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, in the uh, the details for the podcast episode, will you know, have more of a kind of a, a obviously a bio there for you. Uh, and then and then as well, we'll have, you know, convenient links there specifically for LinkedIn and some other ways to get in touch with you there. So everybody can kind of connect and continue this conversation and let's all just continue to build and uh, be passionate about what we do and, and, and make things happen. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Errol. All right. Okay. Courtney, man, have a great day. Thanks. You too.